Amen. We're going to find ourselves back on the beach with Jesus and Peter and the disciples um, as part two of, uh, of the message that I began last week called Restoration and Recommissioning. This is part two of two. Um, so we will find ourselves back on the beach. But for a while, I want, to, I want to establish something. I want to build something before we get there. Um, and before we even get there, got a couple more ocean or beach jokes. My disclaimer is I think I did the best of them last week. So if they were horrible last week, endure. All right, so did you hear about the lawyer who lost all of his limbs due to a shark attacking him? Yeah, yeah, he, he decided to litigate, but he lost. He didn't have a leg to stand on. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Why did the fisherman start doing drugs? Drugs are bad. Why did the fisherman start doing drugs? Because of peer pressure. P-I-E-R, fear. And did you hear about the red ship that collided with the blue ship? All the sailors were marooned. I <laughs> That's all. <laughs> That's all. I guess uh, Kim's mom last week turned to Kim and said, why do preachers always feel like they have to tell jokes in a service? I don't know. I don't know. So I start us off with a question. How do you see love? How do you see love? How do you express love? And if you have any say in the matter, how was how love expressed to you? How would you receive that love? The senior associate pastor at Calvary Baptist Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, is a man named Gary Chapman. And in 1995, Gary wrote a book called The Five Love Languages, How to Express Heartfelt Commitment to Your Mate. And in this book, Gary outlines five ways of expression, five ways to express and experience love. And he calls these expressions and experiences of love, love languages. And so, according to Gary, the five love languages are this. Gift-giving, quality time, words of affirmation, acts of service, and physical touch. According to Gary's theory, each person has one primary and one secondary means of the expression of love. You know, someone's primary might be quality time. And, and it's, they also have a secondary of acts of service or some combination. Chapman concludes that to discover another person's love language, we must observe how that person expresses love to others. It's It's sound. He theorizes that people tend to give love in the way that they desire to receive love. And that that's how we can tell how someone receives love, how someone sees love. Because we all express love, we all desire to receive love, and we all see love in different ways. 
And what I want to start this service off with this morning is how does Jesus see love? How does Jesus see love? We talk a lot about loving Jesus. How does Jesus want to be loved? How does he desire to receive love? How does Jesus see love? If you're turning your Bibles to John, every passage we have today is in the book of John. And and we're going to go from the lowest to the highest, and we'll hop back at one place. But we're going to start off in John 5. In this building that we're going to see in John, we're going to see how Jesus sees love, how he expresses love, how he receives love. Receives love. John 5, 19 through 23. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he, the Father, show him. Will the Father show the Son, Jesus so that you may marvel. For as the, son, as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. In these verses that we read right there, we see absolute trust in the Father on the part of Jesus, the Son. We see submitted reliance on Jesus. He is fully submitted and he is fully dependent and reliant upon the Father. And we see the huge, important theme of honor. It is supremely important to Jesus that the Father is honored. I'm going to say that again. It is utterly and supremely important to Jesus, the Son, that the Father is honored. Let's continue in chapter 8, verse 12. And Jesus spoke to them saying, and and if I can just pause for a second, the story that we see just prior to this is the story of the woman caught in adultery. It's the story, one of the greatest stories of grace we see in the Bible. So right after that, we we pick up in verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, so he's speaking to the religious leaders. This is at a separate time, but this is the next thing that John recalls after that incident. And Jesus spoke to the religious leaders, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going down three verses to 17. It is your law. In your law, it is written 
that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. Down six verses to verse 25. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. See, when Jesus, just prior, we'll pick up here in a second. When Jesus was being told Hey, you're bearing testimony about yourself. It's not true. It's not valid. Jesus would never stand for that because that's not an attack on him. That's an attack on the Father. That's an attack on the one who is true, who bears witness. And so he brings it full circle and says, hey, your law says two people have to bear witness for it to be true. So I'm bearing witness about myself and the Father's bearing witness about me. There's your two. And then he comes back again and says, the Father is true. He who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. I want to establish something on the basis of what Jesus' motivation is. Of what his mission is. On what Jesus, how Jesus sees love. In Jesus, everything is selfless. This is hard for us to grasp because it's our naturally fleshly inclination uh, for us to be selfish, to be self-centered, to be self-minded. That's our inclination. That's, That's what we slant towards. And Jesus is the complete opposite of that. Everything he does is to please the Father. Everything he does is in obedience to the Father. Everything he does, he wants to glorify and honor the Father. Keep this in mind as I read this next scripture. John 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Another way of Jesus saying this is this. You are my friends if you honor my Father by trusting Him and doing whatever He commands. He's never steered me wrong. Never. And He will never steer you wrong. When Jesus is saying, you're my friend if you follow my commands, what He's saying is, hey, these aren't my commands. I do nothing except the Father tells me. You're my friends if you obey my Father. You're my friends. You show love to me 
if you do the things that my Father lays out there for you, if you trust Him, that He's not going to steer you wrong. But back to my earlier question. How does Jesus see love? How did He experience love? How did He experience love? The Father spoke. The Father empowered. The Father uh, adored Him. The Father brought Him into this mission and this plan and empowered Him and gave Him authority. And, 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 and Jesus obeyed. Jesus was glorified and uplifted and given the name above all names. How does Jesus express love? You guys, Jesus experienced the perfect love of the Father. And every expression of love that Jesus did, he did it because he saw the Father first do it. He did it because he heard the Father say, hey, do this. It'll really show them how much I love them. This perfect love that Jesus loved the Father with included honor and it included obedience. And this brings us to the beach. So just to kind of bring us back to where we are, we're on the beach. Jesus has been crucified. Jesus died. Jesus was placed in a tomb. Jesus was there and on the third day he raised himself from the dead. And he's alive. And he starts appearing to people and he starts appearing to the disciples. And so here on the beach, this is the third time that he has appeared to them. And on this appearance on the beach, he has a pretty singular focus of restoring and recommissioning Peter. And he talks about love. And we just got done talking about how Jesus sees love, how he expresses love. And so he starts talking to Peter about love. And in verse 15 of John 21, he says this. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said to Peter, tend my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Church, true love is always followed by life-changing action. True love cannot just rest dormant. Action follows love. Always. We just read before in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And now, Jesus is saying, do you love me? Do you love me? 
Are you willing to lay down your life for me? Is there willing to be action that corresponds with your declaration of love? Right? Are you willing to put your money where your mouth is? Jesus does not see love in the same ways that we do because the ways that he sees love are so not about him. And every way that we see love is about us. I'm not saying that's bad. I mean, look at those five, I, I think those, those five love languages, I think that's legit. I think there's a lot of truth to that. And we see love in different ways. But, but we experience it. We, you know, we, we feel valued when we're loved in this way. Jesus wants all of the adoration to go to the Father. Jesus feels love when the Father is glorified. Jesus wants to be obeyed because that means the Father is glorified. Jesus wants to be loved and actions to follow because those actions will advance the kingdom of God and the Father will be glorified. We can't look at it and relate it to our experience of love or our preferences of love. Jesus is asking Peter to demonstrate his love to Jesus with self-sacrificing action. Right? Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Shepherd my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. We're no different, guys. In our declarations of love, there's action that must follow. Because Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm glad you love me. I'm glad you love me. But I need my Father to be glorified. And there's a kingdom to advance. And that's why I came. That's why I came to this earth. So I need you to be obedient to the things that my Father... I've given you the things. I've given you the things that my Father has said to do. I need you to be obedient to these things. Because these things bring life. And they glorify my Father. And they let other people know how awesome he is. And, and my Father desires that everyone would be with him. That there would be a homecoming with, that not one would be lost. That's what my Father desires. That's what I desire, period. So if you read this passage from the King James or the New King James, it says this, Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. This can be a little unclear what Jesus is commanding. Because in this passage, Jesus uses two words for feed, and he uses two words for sheep. So in a moment, we're going to go over those words. I'm going to unpack that and bring clarity to what those words mean. But the commands are this. Tend to and feed my lambs, my little lambs. Shepherd and lovingly govern my sheep. Tend to and lead my needy sheep. So before I get there, I want to propose to you a nourishment plan that the elders have come up with. Okay? We, as the elders of this church, we agree, and we'll have to divide up names, we'll have to schedule, you know, a little bit of organizations needed, but we're going to feed everyone in this church one meal 
a week. And it's going to be full of healthy foods and fresh foods, and it's going to be healthy, and it's going to be delicious, and we're, we're going to commit to, to bringing you the best meal we can once a week. But here's the caveat. You have to agree that that's the only meal you eat during the week. That's the only time you eat. You get one meal. We're going to prepare it for you. We're going to do our best job at, at bringing it to you. We're going to make sure it's healthy and full of good things. But it is the only meal you can eat all week. Sounds kind of ludicrous, right? Doesn't sound like much of a nourishment plan. Doesn't sound like a whole lot of health comes from that. It doesn't sound very healthy at all. I like the idea of the one meal. I just don't like the part about not being able to eat the rest of the week. If we think that God has called the elders of any church to be the sole provider of nourishment to any church, we are sadly mistaken. That's ludicrous. That's ludicrous. No one would agree to the one meal a day physically. So why in the world would we agree to the, or one meal a week rather, one meal a week physically. So why would we agree and make our lifestyle reflect that we do that spiritually? That's not what it's saying here. Jesus is not telling Peter to be a food bank. Jesus is telling Peter to be a leader and a protector and a prayer warrior and a preacher and a guider and a discipler because that's what a shepherd is. And the only elders and pastors aren't the only people called to be shepherds. This is a call to the church. This is a call to the church. Shepherds don't just feed. Guys, we're talking about sheep here, right? Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, you know, feed my sheep. We're talking about sheep, right? A sheep is a grazing animal. You know how shepherds feed sheep? Do you guys know how shepherds feed sheep? They don't take them in their arms and give them a bottle and tickle their chin and then burp them. That is not how a shepherd feeds a sheep. That's how we feed a baby. But that is not how a shepherd feeds a sheep even a lamb. He feeds them by opening up the pen and leading them to a place of safety by looking out to make sure that there's not dangers where there's grass for them to feed upon where there's waters for them to be refreshed upon and he guides them to that place and then he looks out for predators. He looks out for things that will harm. He looks out for storms. He, he evaluates the weather. He's aware of the time. And then he brings them back in. Or he moves them on. Okay, you know, we got, we got something here. And, and now let's move over here. We need, we need a bigger area. A shepherd leads. A shepherd doesn't hold a bottle to and feed. We're thinking of babies. We're thinking of humans. 
a shepherd leads. It is our job, it is part of our job as elders, it is part of our job to feed you once, maybe twice a week. It is. Right now, what I'm doing, this is a meal. This, this is, I'm bringing you the bread of life. I'm bringing you the word of God. I'm bringing you scripture. And I'm not bringing you an inspirational speaker. I'm bringing you a meal. This is a meal. But I feed you once, maybe twice a week. Are you only eating once or twice a week? Is this the only meal you get? And heaven forbid, what if I'm full of heresy? What if I'm wrong? What if Brad gets up here and he's wrong? What if Andy gets up here and he's wrong? What if what we're delivering is not scripture and it's not the word of God and not truth? Are you going home and digging in the word saying, okay, there's a lot of scripture. I took note of all those scriptures. Okay, I'm going to listen to the podcast again because I didn't get them all written down. Write down these, open the word. What does it say? Let me check the context. Okay, this is good. This is good. Not really leftovers. It's just good all over again. Because the word of God is never a leftover. It's good all the time. And see what you did there? You just fed yourself. I don't care if it's the exact same message. You just fed yourself. When I was in college, when I was at ORU, or Roberts University in Tulsa, Christian College, I made this sign, and I, and I hung it in my dorm room. And now this sign hangs in my son Jordan's room. In Jordan's bedroom, above his closet, is this sign. And I made this when I was a young, impetuous, immature, but seeking God dude. Have you eaten today? And see what, see what I did with, with the knife and the fork over there? It makes a cross. See that? And I liked prints, so today has the two instead of spelled out. Have you eaten today? If not, then you're what? Starving yourself. it's been told to me the most controversial thing that I've said and I've preached or I've said in leadership training is it's not the elders jobs to feed healthy Christians mature Christians you should be feeding yourselves and, and that's stirred some people up they're like uh uh-uh, uh John 21 says feed my sheep feed my sheep feed my sheep it does it does but we can't be lazy Christians we've got to look and see what the words mean we, we've we've got to look and see what the word of God says and I will amend my statement. It's not the job of the elders at this church to be the sole provider of meals for mature sheep. It is part of our job to bring the word to you and to feed you about once a week. Right here, during this time. Which brings us to unpacking John 21. Jesus says, do you love me? Feed my little lambs. That brings us to the tender task of caring for little ones, either little ones of age or or little ones in faith, those that are growing. There's supposed to be a tenderness to our caring. There's supposed to be a nurturing to our caring. There's supposed to be more attention given to our caring. If you're a mature Christian, and you get offended because I'm spending more time 
or the elders are spending more time with new Christians and new converts than we are with you, wah! We're called to spend more time to those who need to be nurtured. So Myra's one of the cutest. We've got a lot of cute kids in this church, but Myra's just always just super cute. So where's where's Myra at with her with her like eating phase right now? Like, can she hold the spoon and the fork and can she can can she eat the toast or whatever? Tiff or Michael, did you put in front of her? Can she eat that? But you still have to put that in front of her, right? But like Haven, boy, get it yourself, right? On his own. See, there's something really beautiful about the feeding process. It really is. There's something beautiful about a baby being held next to the mother's breast and feeding with that intimacy and that closeness. Man, that's beautiful. That's, that's, that's incredible. But that doesn't last forever. In fact, when they're four or five or something, and I've seen four or fives feeding at their mother's chest, it's weird. It's weird. There's a progression at the mother's chest held and embraced at the bottle. You know, they can't hold the spoon feeding, feeding them. They can, they can hold the spoon and they can, and they can hold the, you know, but they're not given a knife yet, you know, and there's a progression For not feeding ourselves, that's just weird. If we're growing in the Lord and, and, and we're mature Christians and we're not just feeding ourselves, that's just weird. Right? It's not weird. It's, I mean, it's weird. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I'm hurting. I need a meal. Sunday better get here quick. Jesus said this. If you love me, feed my little lamb. That word bosco, feed. This is the clearest definition. Go to blueletterbible.com and look up John 21 and then click on the word feed. And you're going to see, sometimes it's like definitions that are like eight and nine lines deep. This one, it's, it's one line and this is what bosco means. When he says feed, this is what it means. To feed, portraying the duty of a Christian leader to promote in every way the spiritual welfare of the members of the church. And the word used there is arnion, which means a little lamb. So I will say this. It is absolutely, without a doubt, 100% the duty of the elders at this church to portray the duty of a Christian leader and teacher to promote in every way the spiritual welfare of the members of the church. And that's what we do. And that's what we do. But in no way are we going to give excuse for Christians not attempting to feed themselves and grow and nourish themselves at all. Do you love me? Peter asks, or Jesus asks a second time. Do you love me? Then let Peter and let each of us learn to guide and direct and protect from outward enemy the mature Christians, and protect the gospel of Jesus Christ and the flock, seeking the lost sheep until they are found. That's what he's saying the second time. Do you love me? 
shepherd my sheep. That word for feed, it's poimaneo. And it says to feed, to tend the flock, to keep sheep, to rule, to govern. That's that word. It's a second word. Rule and lead and govern my sheep, the mature Christians, the strong Christians. The word for sheep is probaton. And it, it means any four-footed grazing animal. It's almost exclusively used for sheep, probaton. But when it's not used for sheep who's grazing, it is used in one really small instance. It's used for pigs who are pinned up and who don't graze. So the lost son, the prodigal son, when he went and went away and he, and he fed pigs, that's the only non-usage of this word that's, that's not talking about sheep. Guys, we're not to pin you in and you're not to be pigs. You're not to be solely dependent upon someone coming and feeding you. Yes, that's there. You're not. And we're not to pin you in. We open the gate. We lead you out. And we don't hold your face to the ground and say, Eat! You're mature enough to know when you're full. You're mature enough to know when you're hungry. You're mature enough to know, I'm going to play with the lambs. I'm going to dance around whatever she... I don't know. I'll eat in a second. Or I'm thirsty first. I'm going to refresh and then I'll eat. I don't know. But the shepherd opens up the gate and leads you to a place of comfort and security and a place where you can eat. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to be a little vulnerable. It, man, it bugged me. People going, well, you're wrong. Not that I was wrong. I'm wrong all the time. But I wasn't wrong about this. It, it, it is your job to feed us. No, it's your job not to be lazy. It bugged me. It did. It bugged me. Why? Why, why, why? Because that mindset doesn't glorify the Father at all. Because that, that mindset doesn't reflect love and action to advance the kingdom of God at all. That action is me-centered. It is, it's about me. You feed me. You take care of me. Nowhere in that is there anything that advances the kingdom of God. We should all be learning how to feed each other so that we can then do what? feed others so that we can guide others so that we can open up the gate for others so that we can be on the lookout for others you know are, are they safe are they under harm we're to shepherd others not just we're to shepherd others that is not what this is for how limiting would that be and once again would that be the reflection of love that glorifies the father that Jesus is looking for no he's looking for multiplication Part of Jesus' love of our perfect Father was the way that God included him in his plan. Son, you get to judge. You get to judge. Because you are so full of love. You represent me. You get to judge. 
I, I raised from the dead, the father said, but son, now you get to determine who has life. You get to raise those from the dead. Then, you know what Jesus said? Hey, the things I did, greater things than these are you going to do. What is that? What is that? That's a demonstration. That's Jesus going, I'm just telling you what I saw from my dad. I'm just sharing with you what my father shared with me. So greater, because actually God says that. It's it's listed right there in, in John 8. He says greater things than these, than the Father did, he now allows me to participate in. Then Jesus later says, hey, greater things than these that I did, you get to do also. You will do them also. He includes us in his plan. Guys, I've got nothing for you outside of Jesus. I've got nothing for you outside of Jesus. I've got nothing for you. But what I can do, what I do have, is to guide you, is to open up the pen and guide you to this place where that like we did, we can get refreshed. Wasn't that refreshing? Wasn't that river of the Spirit of God refreshing? Bring us to a place of refreshing. Wasn't Wednesday night refreshing? At deeper still? Isn't this like a delicious meal? I don't know. It's got spinach and kale, but maybe it's healthy. But, you know, it's healthy. Thursday night. Wasn't Thursday night fantastic at leadership training that's that's the extent of it guys you're looking for another meal you're not going to find it from me and you're not supposed to how else are you going to learn to like myra progress and get to the point where that now she she can feed herself but she's still there's still limitations so i we understand limitations so we are available to you we are accessible to you We're available for study, for discipleship, for scripture, to point you to good books or great podcasts or whatever it is. You're not on your own to, to, we'll go to the store with you, so to speak. Do you love me? Jesus asks a third time. And with you and I, Peter will find that a third duty is commanded to us. The sheep that are young at heart. Maybe they're old sheep, but they're childlike. The trembling sheep that probably need even more attention than some of the younger. These are thrown upon the shepherd's care. So what does this mean? It means that we've got to operate in everything we do with the fullness of grace. Because you know what? Some people take longer to mature than other people. Parents, did any of your kids, if anyone who has multiple kids, did any of your kids just learn certain things faster than the other kids? It just happens, man. Just And so we've got to, to, to be patient and not just ignore the older and the, you know, the, the, those sheep that maybe still have some immaturity, even though their age is there. You know that that's what Peter is, right? You know that Peter was a probaton, right? Probaton was that word for sheep. That was totally Peter. Peter was foolhardy and impetuous and impatient and he spoke before he thunk and he thunk he was always right. He corrected Jesus on multiple occasions. As a matter of fact, a few verses later, Jesus is going to talk to him about how he's going to die. About how Peter's going to die, how he will be carried away and, you know, without, you know, against his will. You know what Peter says? Oh my gosh. 
you know what Peter says after Jesus says that? What about him? How's he going to die? He does! He points to John and says, what about him? How's he going to die? And you know what Jesus says? Oh my gosh. It's none of your business. That is. That's what Jesus says. It is not for you to know how he, what I have for him. Even after this, even after this, he's still a rockhead. He's not the rock. He's a rockhead. But God sees what he's going to be if he will put action to this love. Jesus knows what he will be on the day of Pentecost when he preaches before thousands and, and thousands are saved and added to the church that day. He knows who Peter's going to become as, a, as an elder and a pillar in the church. But he's not there right now. Luke 5 said that when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep. They hadn't caught anything. Just like throwing nets on the other side. And you know what Peter's response was? I'm a fisherman, you're not. I've been fishing all day and we haven't caught anything. But I'll humor you. Acts 10. A voice came in a dream. Get up, Peter, kill and eat. This was a voice from God. Get up. He showed animals. Get up, Peter, kill, eat. You know what Peter says three times? You know what he says three times? Forbid it to be so, Lord God. I would never eat something unclean. He's like, take two. Peter's slow. Peter's dense. But God's plans for him are huge and big. See, God, God's so patient with us where we're at right now. And he loves us where we're at right now. And we're, we're to shepherd together, guys. We're to shepherd together through relationship, through leadership, through intimacy, through discipleship. But we're supposed to do it together. We're supposed to do it together, guys. This call that Jesus says isn't just to Peter, it's also to us. Do you love me? Then be tender with my little ones and give them a little bit more attention. Then lead and govern my sheep. Have grace. For those that maybe it's tough to have grace for at times. All in all, guide them to a place of spiritual well-being. Protect them and, and teach them and, and bring them to a place where they can grow in me. Because action's needed. Because there's a whole world that needs to know about me. In John 9, Jesus says something radical. We read here in John 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world, right? We read that. In John 9, and we haven't read it, and I don't have it, but in John 9, Jesus makes this statement. I am the light of the world as long as I am in the world. What does that mean? Bring me to the world. I am the light of the world as long as I am in the world. So we bring him to the world. We rave about Jesus Christ. We make Jesus' name famous. When we talk about God, we talk about Jesus. Why? Because as, as long as Jesus is in this world, he's the light of the world. So we never let that, that flame die out. His flame will burn in our hearts and will be held high by each and every one of us as long as we live. That is our demonstration to God. That honors the Father. It honors the Son and it honors the Father. 
I've got to love my wife the way that she wants to be loved, the way that she receives love. I can't just love her the way that I see love because that's a different way. I've got to love her the way that she receives and experiences love. How much more so, guys, do we need to love our God the way that he sees love? And he sees love in honor and obedience and trust and action. He does. It's all throughout his word, guys. And it's so fulfilling, just so you know. Seeing someone come to know Christ is so fulfilling. Seeing someone healed up is so fulfilling. This work he's called us to is tough. I think shepherding's tough at times, but it's so fulfilling. Let's show our love for him with our life-changing action. Amen.